on the beast. Our goal this morning is to expose you to a wide variety of texts about government so that you as a Christian can gain wisdom as you live under your government. Governments, plural, because government really is refractive. This is a very important idea for understanding the apocalyptic kind of language in Revelation and Daniel are refractive. When light goes through a prism, it bends, but it doesn't stop being light. It kind of becomes a different light, or you see more of it, or you see some of it, but not all of it. That's the color spectrum. And that refraction is still the light that came, but it's, again, it's changed now. And this is the way that God's orders work in history. So when the Bible uses symbols, they apply on every level. They apply at the elite levels of global government. They apply in your house, your home. And that connection was known by everyone in the ancient world. The word house in Greek is economy. Of course, now we're trying to have them without families, right? That's the new plan, modern economics and all that. The government does funny things. The goal is to expose you not to all the funny things government could or would do, but to give you God's word about both how wretched and beastly it all looks, who's behind it, and how, of course, he's now saved you from it. So why are you here? And what are you supposed to do now? We want to get there. And in this way, we're also building a modular piece on our ark, right? So if you think of your life, your walk as a Christian here as an ark, a ship, it needs certain parts to survive in the rain when the floods came. And we're going to build a piece that can move around on your ark and help almost every other part of your ark. You might even think of it like, you know, a good German shepherd who'll go do what you tell him to do. And this is the idea of eschatology the end of the world, or uh, the fact that the world has ended already in Jesus Christ on the cross, and that this then impacts cosmology, how you view this world that we live in, and it changes your anthropology, how you view yourself as mankind. How the world's going to end, the story about how the world's going to end changes everything else you think in every other part of your life. If you really believe climate change can bring an end to humanity on earth, that's going to change how you worship. I might suggest it'll even change who you worship. Because God says it can't happen. That's the whole point of the flood story. The point is not that we should be stupid and burn our neighborhood down, pollute our our river down the street. That would be dumb, right? But we don't need to believe that God's going to let the wicked people get so wicked that we all die with them all together. It's very important then, this framework of how the world's going to end and we know it and it's a good thing because it gives us confidence to stand in the present against all their stories where they're so scared they're trying to stop the end of the world it's everybody else's religion don't let the world end so we're going to build this little modular piece of eschatology in your head today we're also going to try to avoid some common pitfalls without going too deep into them. Uh, that is to say, when you get into Daniel 7 and you get into Revelation 13 and the beasts and the prophecies, you run very quickly online into all kinds of hootenannies saying all sorts of stuff. And there's some common ones that are problematic, but the, the real rule for why the people who are usually on TV talking about Revelation are wrong <laughs> uh, is, is context, context, context. Uh, They're always picking a verse from here and picking a verse from there and picking a verse from there and just smashing them together. What I want to show you today is how like two whole chapters sit on top of each other. And if you look at them this way, it's in living color. If you just look at it like this, it's kind of like, why am I reading this? And the more you put them together, the bigger the the, the beauty of it all gets. Uh, Somebody uh, shared with me recently about, you know, they're trying to read the Bible. 
uh, more, because I'm telling you to, right? Every week, I read your Bible. And, and they're like, but I don't really want to, and I feel bad about that then. And I start telling myself how bad a person I am for not wanting to read the Bible. And I start wanting to like, be even more of a bad person in the sense that I don't want to read the Bible then at all. A, welcome to normal land, okay? We all got that. Um, uh, B, maybe trying to read the Bible is kind of a big, big task, right? So my suggestion, if you're having trouble reading your Bible, is stop trying to read the Bible and go read some part of the Bible you remember and know. Do you have a favorite story? You know, go read it. Favorite psalm, go read it. And then read it every day for like a week. And then maybe read the next two chapters and go to the first two chapters before and read that every day for a week. And let your knowledge of a section grow and you'll find you love that section a whole lot. And then someday you're gonna be like, wait a minute, the whole book's like that. I wanna study that thing now, right? That's how it builds. It doesn't start with, I feel like reading the Bible, Leviticus, you know, man. Or late Jeremiah, man, what is going on, right? Ezekiel, next week. Revelation, right now, Daniel, it gets nuts. I think the nuts stuff is why it's fun to study. So exposure, context, right? And finally, our goal today in our very brief time uh, is to give you hope, not in, but for the USA. Okay? I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it about something a little bit different. I'm gonna, I want to give you hope, not in, but for the state of Illinois. I'm going to give you hope, not in, but for the city of Rockford and its surrounding regions. I'm going to give you Hope, not in, but for your neighborhood, your actual street, those people you see and maybe wave to who you don't know and kind of maybe don't like. I want to give you hope, not in, but for them. And I want to give you hope, not in, but for your house. Because that is the God we have. He is risen. Hallelujah. Daniel 7 starts on page 744. We're just going to move swiftly through text today. Um, I'm not going to talk about everything I just read. Then we're going to read some more, and I'll talk briefly. But again, exposure is the goal. When I go off text, I'm just going to try to give you the big picture. I, I, there's so many details, we would be lost in the weeds. And that's not what I want today. Today is like your introduction course, okay? So be ready to turn some pages. Uh, Daniel 7, though, we heard it read, verses 1 through, uh, was it 13? Yes, uh, 1 through 12. Uh, and to recap for those listening at home, right? Daniel's in Babylon. That's the exile. We spent a lot of time laying that map in your head, right? Uh, Daniel's way off in Babylon and he is in the night, uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar given this massive vision that parallels another vision that came earlier in the story about a big statue. Um, this vision, though, uh, he sees as a bunch of beasts, one coming after each other, all of them wild, all of them deadly, all of them with weird attributes, like, you know, lions with wings, bears with ribs in their mouth. I mean, everything's a bit not normal, right? Uh, and then finally, there's the culmination in this this thing that isn't even named. It's just... It's just the beast, right? Uh, the last beast. So you know, it, it, all of this happens. And then you see where I want to start really looking is verse 9, right? And we did read this, but I want to read it again. Uh, what happens to these beasts, these monstrous, horrible things? Uh, well, they get judged by thrones, plural. Notice the plural. The throne of Jesus is not alone. 
He's the king above all kings. He's the Lord above all lords. You know, you get a throne. You have a throne. It's going to be a nice seat in whatever house you live in. You're going to love it. No one will sit there unless you let them. And they're going to ask. And you say, yes, please, sit at my throne. That's how good life's going to be. Uh, you will judge the world as Christians. You will participate in the judgment of these thrones. Uh, as the Ancient of Days, that's God. He takes his seat. Uh, probably the father here too, because what happens later in the book is the son of man is going to come to this ancient of days on the clouds. That's the ascension of Jesus, not his return, but his ascension. Um, but this ancient of days is manifested as a, he's personified as a man right now, right? He's, he looks like a man. He's not. And his clothing is white, hair like wool. You should see kind of Jesus in this too here, right? Uh, when, when, when you see, even the ancient of days, an image of the Father who Christ will, will approach uh, as a man, then you're only seeing him through Christ's eyes. I mean, it's the only way to approach the Father is through Christ. Um, but he's kind of awesome. A stream of fire issues out from underneath him. You know, he's got 10,000 times 10,000 around, a huge roaring crowds, great cloud of witnesses, Colosseum dressed in white, singing praises. Yeah, um, and uh, uh, then they sit for the judgment and these books are opened. That comes up later in Revelation 20, but this is the idea that, I'll, I'll say it kind of the nicest way, I think it's the most helpful way, not a single word you say will go unscrutinized by the whole world like a movie on that day. The books are going to be opened. The books are going to be read. And wherever you felt no one understood, they'll understand. And wherever you didn't understand, you'll understand. It's a sobering thought about the tongue, really. Yeah, I love that thought. I know that there's another book, the book of life, in which my name is written. So I don't get judged on what's on the books ultimately. But I still don't want you all to watch me use my tongue nasty. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need you to see that. So I'm working on less of that, you know, youth into age and all that. In any case, that's a tangent. He looks because of the sound of the great words from the horn. So the books are open for judgment, and bam, there's the devil. Now, who's the horn? Was, we go into the history of like what this horn represents in terms of the rise and fall of nations leading up to Christ. That's there. I'm going to touch on it in a moment. But um, for the moment, just see that all of this is about the devil. It's the dragon every time, even if he's wearing a mask. Even if his mask is some other actual human being, it's still the devil, right? And so see this, the judgment comes and what's, what's the devil do? He says, shut up, stop, well, he doesn't make noise. You, you want to see that, go to one of these rallies again. Not the walk for life, that was peaceful as the day is long. You go to one of these things where the rainbow activists come with their violence. They're mostly peaceful protesting. And, and uh, you'll see what it's like to have little horns shouting great things. You'll, you'll feel that. But look how the beast was killed. So he's shouting all the way into the fire. And you've got a little pretaste of hell here as he is destroyed and then his dominion is no longer given to the other beasts which came, uh, even though their lives are prolonged. Now, to talk about the other beasts, let's read Daniel's interpretation of this. I'm not going to tell you what it means. I'm going to let Daniel tell you what it means. It's actually given to him by God. So we're just going to read forward here again from verse 13. I saw in the night night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now this time, here's Jesus coming up. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was the given dominion and glory and a kingdom, kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. When Jesus died and rose, he took away the power that was over the nations and kings of the earth from the devil who had direct control over them, and he took that control unto himself through his church, which doesn't operate like a kingdom of this world, and nonetheless then allowed the devil to remain a season in appearance in strength, but in fact completely defanged. And that is the New Testament age we live in now. He can bark really loud, but it's all he can do. All right, Daniel goes on and says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. Yeah, you'd think after seeing these monsters and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the thing. So there's an angel who interprets it for him. He says, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth and iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions." So like right there, Daniel's saying, I didn't get it. It didn't make any sense. It felt like a closed book to me. And he asked someone to teach him with that question. And he gets an answer, but first he looked and this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high and the time when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And I'm going to stop there because it's just more of that, which if there's a key, it opens and it's clear as daylight. But you just kind of start to go like, whoa, kings, three kings, two kings, we three kings of Orient are, you know, what is going on? Um, I'm just going to give you the short answer today, okay? So the first beast, the lion, is Babylon. Babylon was represented as a, as a nation. Their, their patron animal was a lion with wings on it. It's on their statues. Yeah. That was Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Uh, the bear, which had the three ribs, is, is Persia, the Medo-Persian Empire. And those three ribs are the three great kings, Cyrus uh, and uh, Darius and Xerxes, kings of Persia. And then uh, the leopard that comes flying across the sea so fast is Greece, both in Alexander the Great, flying across the sea so fast, and then the four great empires that come out of his empire, uh, the wings on that leopard. And then you have this last beast with really little choice but to see that this is the Roman Empire. There's no question, it's the Roman Empire, right? And they trample and they crush and they actually spread a lot of peace. It's called the Pax Romana, but if you were in the wrong neighborhood, it was, you know, it was the tax Romana is what it was. Uh, But 
That, that beast then is the beast that Jesus is killed by. Okay? Pilate is the beast. And uh, the power is stripped from them for the sake of the kingdom. But as it says, a mortal wound hit upon this beast. This beast is still here. And that is the beast of the Roman spirit seeking to what conquer the world. And that doesn't have to look the same in every generation. It, it really doesn't. And I would suggest to you that uh, all the way up through the ages, there has been some, some pressure as Christendom spreads that the devil's been right there along taking power for himself. I mean, it got so bad that at one point, the guy we called Papa, you know, Father, the Pope, the Vicar of Christ on earth said, still says, you don't get into heaven unless you really pay me. That's how bad it gets when the beast gets control of things. And isn't it funny? We call them Catholics, but the phrase is the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Catholic Church that once upon a time ruled the Holy Roman Catholic Empire. They're still the Holy Roman Catholic Empire. They're still one form of the beast. They're just very small, or so it seems, kind of. Not so small, actually. Uh, so point being here, right, uh, that in history— Whatever government is currently trying to conquer the world is going to be the beast of Rome at that time. That's the shorthand. And that's what we see then in the book of Revelation. So here we go. Jump ahead. Revelation chapter 13 is going to be on page, excuse me, Revelation chapter 13, page 1035 in your pew Bible. And you probably picked up as it was read that there was like this, uh, overlap, right, between this beast coming out of the sea and these, these animals from Daniel, the bear, the lion, the leopard, I hope you saw, they were, they were all there, and that this beast out of the sea was kind of the last beast that you couldn't describe because it was all just made up of these different wicked things, right? Look at your text and, and just see how chapter 12, right before the woman and the dragon, uh, that story is imperative to what comes next in the, in the story about the beast. And we looked at that story briefly last week, right? And that dragon, then, again, is, is this horn, this loud, boasting, wicked one. Satan, the devil, you can call him a bunch of different names. Um, but we had this story about him trying to destroy the church, the woman, and how Christ is born anyway, but he can't destroy ancient Israel, and the woman is still going to be protected after Christ ascends to heaven. Right on the heels of that parable of the fight between God and the devil for the rest of time till the end of the world, we get this beast climbing out of the sea. And he's not alone, because you can kind of look ahead at verse 11 of chapter 13. You can see the header says, the second beast. There were four in Daniel. There's going to be two here. The first, the second. The first is out of the sea, and the second is out of the land. I'm going to give you kind of the key a little bit, but then we're going to now, after that, we'll skim uh, the sea one again and then read the land one. Right? Uh, but here's, here's the key. And rather than try to prove it, I'm just going to tell you what it is today, because we're doing survey style. Um, the key is that uh, the beast out of the sea is, is the Roman beast. It's Rome. It looks like the fourth beast from Daniel. It's exactly what Daniel said. And if you're, um, well, if you're Daniel, uh, if you're uh, Moses, you know, if you're Pharaoh, no matter who you are in the ancient world, if you've got to fight Rome, it's, it's, a, it's an army coming out of the sea. It's a beast out of the sea. So everything about this screams Rome, the empire, which we want to understand now. Can, we, can, can I shift a little toward our eschatology, anthropology framework? 
So Rome, wherever it shows up like this beast, is just a picture of how God sees that governments abuse the people beneath them. God sees that. He knows it's happening. He wants it to stop, but he wants to save people for paradise more than that. And so he allows it to go on in order to enact his great plan of salvation via the word and the spirit. But this beast out of the sea is always going to be there. You're always going to have a government run by men, and those men will be flawed and mortal. The best of them will die. And we've tried saying, well, the sun will be just as good. We know that doesn't work. We've put a bunch together in a room and said, well, a couple will keep us safe. That doesn't work. We've tried open democracy. It ends up with people killing each other every single time. There is no government that's going to work forever on this planet. There are neighborhoods, there are states, there are regions that can work together for peace. And the way you do it best is you pray to Jesus Christ and you ask him for it. Jesus, give me peace in my heart, in my soul. Jesus, give me peace in my house. Jesus, give me peace on my street. And to get that far, you got to change you a little bit. And changing you will start changing those places and that will start changing others. The battle is to be part of the kingdom that's not of this world. Well, the beast, the beast is going where the beast is going to go. He's going to the fire. We can chase him. We can worry about him. We can fret on him. What's the beast doing today? Is the beast a, a man who totters or is he some bench pressing guy? What does he look like? Why do I follow him? How can I have hope more again? God save America. Why? So we can make more Muslims accept transgender theory overseas? You think that makes them like us? I mean, I want to give you hope here, but the beast is the beast, all right? Now let's keep going because it gets worse when there's the second beast. Verse 11, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. We'll stop right there. It's very clear, right? It looks like Jesus, but it's the devil. So if the beast out of the sea, that is the Roman Empire, is the government of the age when John is living, what's this other beast out of the earth, out of the land, that looks like Christianity, but isn't? And at the time, well, that was the synagogue for sure. I mean, they literally do everything that he says they're going to do. They try to kill Christians. The reason Rome kills Christians is because Jews take them to court. That's the way it was. It was a horrible time to be alive, I really think. I mean, people hated each other. They were terrified of each other. Survival was all that mattered. Christianity really has made things nice, but we're watching what happens when you don't have it, though. You can smell how bad it can get. Uh, This other beast, though, this religious beast, at the time of the persecution that John is talking about, it says it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, right? So can you see that the government, when it's at its worst, is going to give its power to churches who will do its work for them. That's this. That's the second beast. Can you see how it's the dragon behind the government, behind the church? This is why I was so unwilling to really say, put a mask on. Because I'm part of a different kingdom. And if that's something that needs to be said in this room, someone else should stand up and say it. I'm not a representative of the dragon's state. 
I'm one of the few who's been ordained to speak against it at all costs because the first use of the law curbs things. And so when you say the truth to power, it may not seem like they listen, but it doesn't let them do everything they want. And preacher's first job is that, to say that to you, actually, this little governance of ours that we have. We're going to enter discussions about that in the future here. No big deal, I think. But when you fuse worldwide governments with a religious fervor to believe that their way is the only way, when there's no way to live in peace beside your neighbors, when they won't let you, yeah, and you got the other beast going on too, the beast of false worship, the beast of anti-Christianity, the religion of anti-Christianity going on. It has this mortal wound that was healed, right? So again, the devil is behind this. Uh, the uh, ancient gods, Baal, all these kind of false things that were of old in the Philistines that they did, that, that's still there is what the demons want for mankind. Uh, it performs great signs, verse 13 says, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It's, it's important to know the Bible is very clear. Not only do apostles do miraculous signs, sorcerers and wizards get demons to help them do things we would call impossible. I know that's hard to believe and swallow as a modern person, but um, yeah, look into the dark side of the moon sometime and have your mind open just a little bit. Uh, the point here, again, is that watch out for those who say, I got proof. Watch, I can do magic. Watch out for that. Right? Sometimes it's just, well, we got this oil from somewhere so special that it has particles of spiritual energies about it. And we have made sure that our own hearts and minds have given spiritual energies to this oil. Please buy it. It'll help your hair. I mean, can you smell that yet? That's not a pitch to sell you an oil. It's a pitch to sell you a religion. It's all religion. They work their signs. Verse 15, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. They stood up a statue that talks. I golly. It's the TV, I swear it. It's not. I don't think it is. But golly, it sure looks like it. (laughs) Um, They set up an image that talks. So the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. The whole point of this talking statue is brain control, mind washing. No question about that. Uh, And the world is willing to go and say, this statue is God. This statue is God. Do what the statue says. Uh, uh, And it will then cause both small and great, rich and poor, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of his name is there. This calls for wisdom, it says, verse 18, a verse that we should do pay attention to. That, that says, stop, stop reading, think about this. Let one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. I can do the math. Other people can do the math. Some people think it's monster energy drinks. I don't kid you at all. I've seen a woman preaching it. Um, it's straight up, it's Caesar, Nero. The Nero Caesar is the perfect example of what goes wrong when you merge religion and government without Jesus anywhere near the picture. If you don't know about the interchange between St. Paul and Nero, before Paul died, it's written, it's tradition, but you should read it. Because you'll see what a king who thinks he can't be stopped will do. This is wickedness. It's great wickedness. Now, with our little time that's left, I want to give us the New Testament kind of uh, encouragement in this, though. So we're going to read Romans 13. Uh, This is on page 948. And then we're going to jump over to 1 Peter 2. And then I hopefully we'll have one minute to put a cap on it for the day. Uh, So first, you know that the government's going to be evil, says the Bible. And then the Bible says this too. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person... 
be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Go to second, or first Peter chapter 2, verse 13, page 1015 of your pew Bible. Similar statement, similar statement, a parallel text. And again, when you can have similar texts lining up on top of each other, and you can turn them sideways, and you have enough of it in your heart to look through all those symbols together, what appears to be kind of black and white on a page suddenly becomes living color in your heart. And that's our goal here. So 2.13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. To close. Authority on earth, governance, order is good. And even a bad order is usually better than no order at all. Which is why the place of us, this 4th of July, this celebration of the anniversary of our country, founded on a Bill of Rights that protects the freedom to assemble, to speak, to pray and praise, and also protects the right to live. But that's a good thing. And if some wicked people got in charge of it all, well, then we just have to pray that God gets rid of them. Because maybe they're there because we stopped praying. Maybe they're there because we stopped reading. Every time in my life, something isn't going the way I think it should, I discover there's somewhere that I'm thinking things I shouldn't be thinking. And it isn't that those things are wrong. They're just, they're just all mine and kind of lonely. And the word continues to teach me to think not all mine, but all his and we together. And that gives me great hope for St. Paul Lutheran Church. 
We're not huge. We're huge. And it gives me great hope for Rockford. Uh, it, it's not the greatest city on the planet. But it is not the worst city on the planet. Uh, and I, I even have hope for Illinois. I have a friend. I said, Illinois could be such a great place. He said it was. Well, times change. I got a great king. And if I'm going to pray all of that, then I'll pray the same for the U.S. of A. And I'm going to be committed to this, though. I know this, though. God's not going to bless the USA with any kind of good order and stability so long as we keep murdering babies and mutilating children. He will send enemies against us until we stop. He will send enemies against us until we are conquered. And that doesn't mean necessarily we go out there and take action. That's a bad idea, I think. Uh, but do remember that when God says, obey authority, obey the king, the authority you've been born under is no king, but that bill of rights, which doesn't just give you the option to resist its being taken away, but it commands you to defend it as a member of the military of this country. That's a weird thing. The Bible didn't have stuff like that in their times. That we don't, we don't have a king, we have a constitution. The constitution says, if anyone is going to break it and take it from you, you have the right to resist. I don't have hope for a country in the right to resist by force of arms. It's not the second amendment I'm most concerned about, it's the first. I'll just close with this. We're well over time. Thank you for listening this morning. I know that the only way I got through Monday night was the name of Jesus Christ coming out of my mouth. In the name of Jesus, amen.